0: I am super excited to be sharing with you today. Um, we're in uh, continuing our Bible uh, Everyday Bibles uh, series. Everyday Bible people, people. Everyday Bible, Bible for everyday people. Anyway, the Bible and us. Um, and I'm super excited to be bringing you a, a story that is one of my favorites from 2 Kings four. But first, let me just make a couple remarks. Ah, youth ah youth when i was young i had no respect for this thing called hope to me hope was a hallmark word like something pink you put it out on a credenza whatever a credenza is i have no idea now i'm old and now i know that hope it's a battle-scarred, 280-pound special-ops ranger parachuted by night into jungle territory, armed to his teeth, and on a do-or-die mission to turn the tide of the war and right the universe as we know it. Hope is a badass. Now, sorry, I hope I not in trouble for saying that. It's in, a, it's in Jurassic World now some of you who know me well might say, come on, Sonia, you can't talk about hope. Like you're like a natural optimist, right? Where do you get out talking about hope? I know it looks like that from the outside, like whatever bombs are going off around me or the earth is opening up under my feet. You know, I somehow keep looking ahead and up and I worship with passion, but it wasn't always this way. That I've always been sensitive, but I wasn't always hopeful. When I was a young child, I'm going to tell you a couple things. I was often given to the fear of death, melancholy, nostalgia, and I struggled a lot with introspection, even as a young Christian. My soul didn't have an anchor. I was kind of unhinged. I remember as a third grader, I would often, during a season, make my way to the school office, brave that mean secretary, and borrow the phone just to call home to see if my mom was still alive. I did that every day for a season. As a sixth grader, I was obsessed with nuclear war, the the arms race, and I went to school with all these pamphlets all stapled together about how we need to disarm, and I would distribute them to my classmates or... A little bit puzzled by me. Uh, entering junior high, I remember I, was, I read Herman Hess's Siddhartha because I, I just was, had so much despair at the poverty of this worldly existence. I was hoping that maybe, you know, that pioneer of Buddhism could help me sort out uh, what to hold on to. And then as a 12 year old, I attended my first real Bible study and I heard my first explanation of the first chapter of John. That was a game changer. That very night I was in, in this house in Haiku Plantations, Kaneohe, I was laying on the floor with my, my head on my, my arm, my hand, and the love of God started to drip into my life. There wasn't any pressure. There was no pressure. There was just this nice, middle-aged woman. Uh, She was telling a bunch of kids who Jesus Christ was. The very Word of God, become a human being. But the experience was tangible. It was concrete to me. I had never experienced anything like that uh, without even asking. I was being connected with a love that I was designed for. I've told people that experience was like being a guitar that was strummed, the strings strummed in a chord for the very first time. A few weeks later after that, I I said a prayer to, to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life, and the rest is history. Now, in retrospect, I see that hope, that 280-pound special ops ranger entered my life that night, along with true love. Because hope anchored me in the days to come, for 40 years after that to now. Yeah, he's so good. Through hope, when life was terribly hard, or sad, or disappointing, I was able to look for that love, the love I tasted, and reach for it, commit to it, and expect it time and again through hope. Now, I've had a lot of difficult seasons, and you have too! You have too! But for example, a lot of you know that before moving to Hawaii, Jordan and I went through a long, painful season trying to have kids. We had seven miscarriages in four years. Seven horrible, heavy-hearted trips to the hospital. I remember one in particular, Jordan was traveling, and I had to drive myself in the rain. The windshield wipers. The, the rain coming down, it was awful. Scopes, hormone treatments, a hundred plastic pregnancy sticks mocking me with their solid blue line. And a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? In those years, my desire to have a kid, it came with a pang and a weight in my chest. And without my hope, In God's love I don't know if I would have survived that I think my desire would have continued but without hope in that love I think I could have been eaten away from the inside caved in with anger and bitterness Well, an old college roommate of mine uh, who had received some healing from a, a ministry in California. She was living in San Jose. She asked if I would consider trying to get some prayer there. So I said, yes. And I flew out for a visit. All I can tell you is that on that day, in that suite of offices, I experienced the presence of God. And the next time I got pregnant, it didn't go away. I didn't lose the baby. And she's sitting right there. And then that little boy, the little boy, he followed soon after. Good job, guys. You made it. Now, let me show you a picture of someone who's trying to live without hope. You can see that. This is Miracle Max. He's a favorite character from one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride. Now Max, played by Billy Crystal, is an old jaded wizard who has had a big career disappointment. Actually, it's kind of a political disappointment, too. He was fired from his castle position by, as he says, the king's stinking son, Prince Humperdinck. Since then, he has retreated into ignoble retirement in a woodland hovel on the outskirts of the village. He has been canceled. When asked about his former position at the castle, he retorts, and it's written here, thank you so much for bringing up such a painful subject. While you're at it, why don't you give me a nice paper cut and pour lemon juice on it? Now, like many of us who have suffered disappointment, Max, he's minimizing the engagement of the world, he's coding his pain with cynicism, and he's keeping his heart unattached. But the day comes when his talents are desperately needed. They need him to raise the dead hero, Wesley, back to life, because apparently Wesley is only Mostly dead. But Max is obstinate. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want our risk going on on a limb anymore until he discovers true love. True love is involved. He can barely believe his ears because he admits nothing on earth is better than true love except maybe a mutton lettuce tomato sandwich. After that, Max gets to work, he indeed resurrects the dead guy, and true love resurrects hope in the wizard as well. So many of us, after this last year especially, we're trying to protect ourselves from hope. We've shut ourselves off from divine love. And like Max, maybe we've drifted to cynicism, isolation. Anybody? Anybody tempted? Turn off your social media. Just get real quiet, real small. May the Holy Spirit come to you today. Testify to your heart that true love is not a fairy tale. It's not a hoax. Come Holy Spirit, do it right now. I just pray, Lord, even as I'm speaking, the rest of this service, we pray, your true love will come and touch our hearts where we're tired, sad, and angry. Thank you, Lord, for that. we we'll just receive it. Thank you. Now, let me clarify quickly what biblical Christian hope is and what it's not. Biblical Christian hope, it's not wishful thinking like, oh, I wish or I hope you have a nice day. I hope you have a nice vacation. Or even, oh, I hope I get married or I hope I have a child. It's not that at all. That's not bad to want things, but it's not biblical hope. Hope comes from, in the Bible, two words in the Hebrew. The first is, Tikva, tikva. Excuse me for slaughtering that, anybody who speaks Hebrew. Tikva comes from the idea of a rope. It's a rope, a cord, a safe attachment. So my hope is actually a tie, an attachment to God. Like a thick rope on a boat that keeps it on the dock. Right, Julie? Right, Rick? It's a connection. It's not a feeling. It's not a wish. Second, word in Hebrew is yachal, yachal, and it means to wait, to tarry, to wait for, specifically to wait for God over a duration of time. It has a focus, like a faithful dog will keep his focus on that front door, waiting for his faithful master to come home, attentive, expectant, hope is relational. It's not contractual, we hope in God. And lastly, something we're maybe more familiar with, the Greek word elpis is translated as hope in the New Testament. It means to anticipate with pleasure. Uh, Hope benefits those who are waiting uh, with joy. Even like children can be happy about Christmas coming months before. Some adults are like that too, right John? looking forward to Christmas. It puts a smile on your face. It's allowed. So try this for a little summary. Hope is a secure attachment to God. He's on the end of my rope as I wait on him with glad anticipation, confident expectation. That, my friends, is hope. So, so far, I'm doing so good, wow. So far, um, we have, one, have an idea of what biblical hope is or isn't. Two, you've heard how hope has entered my life, sustained me in some tough times. And three, we've talked about what it can look like if we lose hope, when we drift to cynicism or even drift from our calling, our talents, our God-given design. So finally, we're going to get to our Bible passage And we're going to open it up. You've got a Bible. We're going to go to uh, 2 Kings 4. And we're going to see the fourth thing I want to talk about is how God repositions our hope. He repositions our hope to a place where it works. Um, This story um, is one of my very favorites. It's filed among the adventures of Elisha, the great prophet of Israel, uh, successor to Elijah, the other great prophet of Israel, but it centers around this super interesting lady. We don't even know her name, but she's called the Shunammite or the Shunammite woman. She is a personal hero of mine because of her brave journey with hope and with God. So we've pulled out, we're not gonna read the whole thing, we've got some portions of it. Uh, I'll read some of it, and then we'll summarize some of it. Let's start. One day, Elisha went to Shunem. It's a little village in Israel. And a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped to eat. She said to her husband, I know this man who often comes our way He's a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof put in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So I like her right away. You know why? She's together. I want to be a together lady. She's wealthy, she's organized, she's really observant, and she uses her money for hospitality. She's also energetic. She's a self-starter. and she urges Elisha to eat food. I mean, she's actually like a lot of Chinese aunties I know. Eat, eat, eat. And it's her idea to renovate the house. You know, little ADU, little studio apartment uh, for that prophet who passes through town. I also kind of assume she had great taste. I kind of imagine like Joanna Gaines from Magnolia. I bet it was a super nice studio up there Um, she's a good-hearted gal she's a can-do person and her husband well he goes along with her ideas he's a very smart man Uh, so Elisha he's really grateful for her hospitality and he wants to repay her in some way Um, so um, he says to his servant who always travels with his servants named Gehazi he says um, what can be done for her what can be done for her? And by the way, I think that's the heart of God. It's the character of God. He notices all the good things that you do. He actually sees them all. And he's actually grateful for all of them. And it's, it's his kindness. It's his graciousness that he, he says, what can I do for you? Psalm 37:4 backs it up. It says, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, Now, speaking through his servant again, Elisha offers to make her life better. So by putting in a word of influence with the king, with the military, because he's a big guy in the nation. But the Shunammite woman declines. Specifically, she says, I have a home among my own people. So. In our series, we've been talking about what bugs you about a particular passage. This bugs me. Why does she say no? What's going on here? Does that bug anybody else? She's just been basically asked, is there anything I can do for you? Gosh, I can think of a lot of things you could do for me. Why is she saying no? I have a little red flag. Is she truly content? Is she being overly polite? Like in our, my culture, you gotta say no three or four times, and then you accept the gift. You know, no, 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 okay, thank you. Uh, or maybe you know we've we've kind of seen her as the giver in charge, uh, and maybe she doesn't like being on the receiving end of favors. I mean, I, I'm like that, or I used to be. Actually, i have gotten a lot better at receiving help, but it used to be that I hated people helping me. I'm much more comfortable helping other people. What's, what's going on there? What's that about? A lot of you can relate. What's that about in you and in me? Um, well, we're about to find out what's going on because, yes, there is something under the surface. There always is. Way beneath the surface. Um, I'll just mention here, God is not afraid of what's under the surface, by the way. Uh, about five years ago, God started, you, know, you know, I think I'm a pretty together person. I've done okay. I, I was able to work and have jobs and have friends. People think I'm nice. Uh, but about five years ago, the Lord began to knock and bring up some things I never knew about from my time growing up as a child. Do you need me to switch? Oh, okay. How's that? Hallelujah. Should I start at the beginning? (laughs) Um. Okay, God is not afraid of what's under the surface, way under the surface. And about five years ago, in spite of me feeling like a fairly competent person, he started to show me that just because you're functional, it doesn't mean that you're whole, sweetheart. Just because you're functional, it doesn't mean that you're whole. I ended up uh, taking this random trip to this conference in Colorado. And I didn't even know what I was signing up for. Suddenly, I find myself in this room with like 1,000, a, a 2,000 people. And the guy up front is saying, OK, we're just going to ask the Lord to um, show you an area of your childhood where he wants to meet you. And I had some ideas. I started going back all right, I remember that was a sad thing. That was kind of uncomfortable. But I couldn't, nothing popped to me. I didn't really find the presence of God. But then I saw her. In my mind's eye, I saw this really young girl. She was, she had black hair, was all over her face. And she looked actually kind of monstrous. And I was afraid of her. And then the Lord showed me, "Um, that's you. And I didn't understand. Um, And it's a longer story, but he told me in that moment, very quickly, uh, she's suffering from hunger, uh, from consumption, which is like the need to keep consuming but not being satisfied. And three, from being sacrificed for the needs of other people. Whoa. Uh, And then... I saw Jesus, he's so funny. I've seen Jesus like twice in this way in my visions. He was wearing brown pants and brown cloth shoes, super approachable, super humble. And he had the baby in his arms. He was standing in a hospital room next to a window and I could see him holding her and he was dancing. You know, I'm praying, I'm seeing this and I'm actually thinking because I'm a singer, oh Lord, would you sing to her? But he didn't do that. He was dancing with her. Uh, And then I saw from the view of the child looking out over a blanket, looking out. Uh, And that's a longer story, but I just want to say that started a journey for me of going to some deep things that I thought, oh, that was just my personality. No, it wasn't my personality. There were some things there that were tied up that the Lord was graciously going to, re, to untangle and attach me to him in a way that'll allow me to be who he designed me to be. He has a goal of setting each one of you on a path where you can be who you were designed to be. And you probably don't even know the half of what that looks like. I'm going to give you permission. That's okay. But we're just going to invite him to finish that good work in you. Okay, where was I? Back in our story. All right. So the Shunammite, she has said, no thanks. I'm good. I don't need anything. But God is going to go deeper. Elijah begins to brainstorm with his servant Gehazi. And they go into this sort of like obvious observation that, oh, she's childless. She's married to an old guy who maybe he couldn't father a child. Maybe they had a lot of miscarriages. Maybe they had seven. Who knows? Um, And especially for a woman in that culture without a son, she'd be at risk for the future. And she'd have no legacy. So Elijah, he simply decides to miraculously intervene and meet this lack. Let's look at verse 15. Then Elijah called to her. No, so, then Elijah said, call her. That's very important. He doesn't call her himself. He he tells his servant, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elijah Elijah said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected, please. Man of God, don't mislead your servant. Ooh. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Okay, does anybody have a problem with that? Raise your hand. Anything bug you about that? No, you like that? I'm bugged. I'm troubled. I mean... Here's what bugs me. The Shunammite very clearly says no. She's on for the child, but she's so shut down that she rejects it. She even says, Elisha, basically, um, you're a liar. Don't mislead your servant. I mean, she's clearly in a really bad condition in her heart. So is that okay to give somebody something they said they really want, but they don't want? Is that okay? Apparently, God does. I don't know. But here's what I want to go to. What is the problem? What, she's an amazing lady. What's tied up in her heart? We know she wants a child. She, she loves God. She's given of her substance to him. Why can't she get past this? I mean, her heart is tied up in knots. Her rope, her attachment, is wrapped around the inside of her. She's tangled. Uh, Here's what I think. When your hope gets wrapped around something, instead of attaching you to God, you just get sick. When your focus, your attachment is wrapped around anything other than God, guess what? That rope cannot support you because you were made for so much more that your internal desires, they just cannot hold. Um, so where are you, where am I tied up? instead of tied to God's love. That's the thing about hope. Where is that 280-pound ranger? What are you trying to make him do? He's not meant to work out earthly, temporal, things in your heart. He's meant to connect you to God and win the war and raise you to glory and make you into something that you've never seen before. That's what he's for. But then here's the second thing that I see from this part, which just blows my mind. I mean, I'm thinking, yeah, she needs to get this straightened out first. We can't go on. We can't move on because she's all tied up. She's like, she's focusing on the wrong thing. We, we can't wait to stop here. But you know what? God doesn't. He gives her the child. God doesn't mind that her expectation of his goodness is so small. He doesn't mind. He's not going to let that get in the way of his goodness. He has a bigger perspective than any of us ever do. As Psalm 23 says, goodness and mercy will follow me pursue me, chase me down all the days of my life. It's incredible. God will chase us down with his goodness no matter what condition our heart is in. Isn't that good news? Come on. I love that song. We're going to sing it later. Your goodness is running after me. Your goodness is running after me. Even if my heart is all messed up, His goodness is going to rescue this poor, tangled sister. But there's one last part. It's going to get gnarlier still. Okay, we're at the home stretch here, mostly. Well, another 15 pages here, I think. Just kidding. Okay, quick summary. A few years pass, and in brief, the child dies. He's about three or four, maybe five years old, and he's in the field with his dad, and it seems like he gets sunstroke, because he just cries, my head, my head. And they take him to his mom, they put him on her lap, uh, and, and he, she sits that way with him for a few hours, and then he dies. It is awful. But she doesn't tell a soul. She doesn't say a word. She puts him in the prophet's room. She gets on a donkey and she rides 30 miles. That's from Shunem to um, Carmel. 30 miles as fast as she can. If anybody stops her, she says, she lies. She says, everything's okay. She has no drama. She has no time for drama. She goes directly to the Holy One, to the only one. Who she senses can be of any relevance to her at this point uh, when we when she finally reaches elisha we get the whole story of her heart and we'll pick up in verse 27 here when she reached the man of god at the mountain she took hold of his feet no COVID distance there no distance at all Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. The Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. That's profound. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. Now, notice with me something very incredible. All the way up to now, up to this part, Elisha has been talking mostly through his servant to her. And she's been sort of pushed off. She stands in the doorway when she talks. She's at a distance from him. It's all been rather formal. But now, in her raw need, bitterness and all, she's thrown aside every last protocol and restraint, and she's flung herself on the holy man's feet, and she's gripping them in the most unacceptable manner. This is the dramatic shift I think that the story is looking for. Things are repositioning. Her hope is finding its true place. Elisha, he sees in this embarrassment, in this awkwardness, he sees a holy moment. Gehazi comes to push her back, but he's told, you get back. Even the prophet admits that he is outside this holy circle. Do you know, I know this, this is one of my favorite things in life. Do you know that the Lord keeps Your secrets? Do you know that He doesn't go blabbing to everybody about you? Even prophets don't get to see that sacred part of your heart. Do you know that the Lord respects your pain? That He treasures for Himself that moment when you throw aside your last protocol and restraint and take hold of his feet. That is one of my greatest treasures in this life, the secrecy of God. You are called to so much more, immeasurably more. But when we are called to that space, what we're designed for, there's still going to be a very secret place with you and Jesus. You're going to have a name that no one knows, it says in Revelations, but you and God. That's how amazing he is with us. That's the vision he has for us. Incredible intimacy, immeasurable glory. Elisha. He then sends his servant Gehazi back to Shunem to try to heal the boy. But this is the last part that happens after that, which I think is the clincher. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. I mean, does she say this because Elisha is the miracle producer that she needs? I mean, I used to read it that way. Like, she's like, ah, don't send Gehazi. I, I, I'm, I demand you to go heal my son. Um, and in the end, Elisha does go and spoiler, he raises the boy. It's awesome. Great day. But I want to back up because I think the point is actually this moment when she says, I will not leave you. I don't know if you can follow me here. It's a little bit counterintuitive. But let's look closely. She doesn't technically require anything about the child in that sentence. She only says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Now, Gabby Guvea recently preached an amazing sermon a couple weeks ago. It just touched me so deeply. And she shared about how God uses suffering to help us find hope and how when they lost their beautiful boy, Grayson, and he's in heaven, heaven is holding him, she kept her hope in God. That is miraculous. She said, I don't know why, I never doubted. She kept her hope in God, and she stuck with him, just like the Shunammite. I will not leave you, holy one. Right, Gabby? Whoa. And as a result of that, impossible grace and fruitfulness is flowing from this family's life right now. And I think her prayer, Gabby's prayer, aligns so much with um. This repositioned hope of the Shunammite. I just wanted to, to repeat part of your prayer, Gabby. I Hope that's okay to ask you for permission. But yeah. part of what she's, Gabby said was: in that place of, uh, of struggle, despair, on the brink, Gabby said this. She prayed this. I don't get it. I'm suffering and it's hard. But I trust you, I'm in. Whatever it is you need me to do, speak it. I surrender. This is not for me to do alone, but for me to do with you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. So grateful. We say in that moment with the shinamite. My heart is on the table, Jesus. My heart is on the table. I don't know the outcome. I don't know if Elisha's going to raise the child. But as surely as the Lord lives, the living God, true love is real. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. It's through the Shunammites' brutal honesty, new direct attachment, impolite, all-on-the-table attachment to her God and her final surrender that her hope can now carry her forward, carry her up, carry to her who she's meant to be. She shows up again, actually, in 2 Kings. Her story goes on. She shows up with her son. It doesn't end here. Our story does not end here. Wherever you are, your story is not ending. It's going up. If you will reposition your hope onto the only one who has the strength to carry the weight of your glory, there will be another chapter. There will be another episode. There will be adventures you have never begun to imagine. Ephesians 3 talks about he's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. His love surpasses knowledge. I will testify to that. I want to stake the ground today here at Blue Water, in our community. I am putting a stake in the ground to say that we will hope in you, Lord, who's with me. This is not about today. This is not about your comfort. This is not about our small, pain-free existence. This is about glory. This is about God fulfilling who you were designed to be. The Apostle John writes in his letters, he says, Now, beloved, we're the children of God, but what we will be has not yet been shown. But we know that when we see him, we will be like him. For we will see him face to face. That's what you were made for. Do not settle. Do not settle. I need to. Oh, excuse me. So sorry. I just got on a roll here. okay. So here's my last thing. You are no beggar. You are no beggar. Look up. You were made for greatness. And only heaven, the love of God, can bear that weight of glory. Would you stand with me? And we'll just pray. And we're going to worship. Actually, that's what I'm going to do. We're going to worship. We're going to... And one song, and then after we sing, there'll be a time of prayer and communion. Um, But I want to, Lord Jesus, as we look to you now, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're in the room, and I just say, in the name of Jesus, would you just shed off of my friends here this poverty spirit, this place of tied up, where are you tied to? Where is your hope tied to? Lord, show them as we worship, where does that rope lead to? There's a rope they're holding on to. What's it tied to? Is it tied to a place that can hold them, or is it tied to something that's way too small and got them all bollocksed up? Lord, ask for your revelation right now. And even as we, we worship, Lord, we pray your goodness running after us, running after us.